Welcome to Antelope Island State Park. I'm Hannah, your podcast host. Today's subject is one of the defining features of the Utah landscape, the Great Salt Lake. It can be found as reliably as the delicate arch on postcards, magnets, and other state souvenirs. But for many of us, our understanding of the lake stops at its name. We know that it's big, great even, and that it's salty, very salty. But as my conversation with Antelope Island State Park naturalist Trish Ackley reveals, there is more to the lake than its name suggests. For example, the lake is salty, in some places almost three times as salty as seawater. But the salinity varies greatly across the lake. This variation is due in part to the causeway that cuts across the lake. The road, which you drive on to access Antelope Island State Park, acts as a barrier, cutting the eastern part of the lake off from the western portion. The effects of this man-made barrier on the lake are significant. Over time, the causeway has led to differences in salinity, water level, and health of the lake between its eastern and western sides. Before the causeway was built, the Great Salt Lake still experienced fluctuations in its size and water level, which changes based on how much water is coming in from the rivers and streams that feed into the lake. The waterways that meander to it end their journey there, rather than in an ocean or sea. In order to understand the existence of a terminal lake in Utah, we have to zoom out and consider the geography of Utah and the American West. The Great Basin is a geographical area that covers most of Nevada and much of the western portion of Utah, as well as portions of California, Oregon, Idaho, and Wyoming. We can think of the Great Basin much like a kitchen sink. Any water that comes into it drains internally, rather than towards the Pacific Ocean or the Gulf of Mexico. This internal drainage results from the geographic barriers, namely mountain ranges and plains, that prevent water from leaving the basin, like the tall sides of a sink that redirect any splashes back towards the drain. At 75 miles long and 35 miles wide when full, the Great Salt Lake is the largest salt lake in the Western Hemisphere and the largest lake west of the Mississippi River. These days, lake levels are at about 8 to 9 feet below full. Trish described the lake's depth in detail. It's a pretty shallow lake compared to other lakes. It's 75 miles long when it's full and 35 miles wide, a lot of surface area. That's when it's full. We're looking at about an eight or nine foot drop right now in that average lake level. So it's quite a bit smaller than that, but typically it is that 75 by 35. And depth is kind of the same story. It's only about 26 to 28 feet at its deepest when it's full. An average is about 14 feet in depth, so it's quite a shallow lake. That may seem large, but the lake that existed in the same spot millions of years ago makes the Great Salt Lake look like a puddle. The precursor to the Great Salt Lake was Lake Bonneville, and its shores extended through all of present-day Salt Lake City, as Trish explains. It's just a remnant of a larger freshwater lake, Lake Bonneville. Lake Bonneville was 10 times the size as Great Salt Lake, and when that kind of natural dam broke and all the water fl flowed into the ocean, it left us with a smaller, gigantic lake, which is Great Salt Lake. Today, the Great Salt Lake is a destination for sailors, paddleboarders, and swimmers. There are a number of marinas established on the lake's shores where amateurs can rent equipment and boat owners can store their boats. For getting out on the water from Antelope Island's marina, Trish recommends kayaking and paddleboarding. 
The island's swim beach is a highlight too, with water temperatures around 80 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer, as Trish highlights. It is, and it's a really popular destination for sailors, uh, sailboats, and just stand-up paddle boards, kayaks, things like that. There are a few different marinas on Great Salt Lake. Some of them are more active, and that's just because the area of those marinas has greater water depth. Uh, our marina on Antelope Island is terrific if you have a kayak or a stand-up paddleboard. It's a little trickier to get out of in a larger sailboat. Keep in mind that saltier water is also more dense, so sports like water skiing are a no-go on the Great Salt Lake. It's not as popular for motorboats and water recreation like that for a couple of reasons. One, yes, it's super salty and, and it's hard on motors. It's not great for water skiing and things. The water is more dense. So if you have a pileup on, on water skis, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sting <laughs> a lot more than on a freshwater lake. So that's certainly not as popular. We do occasionally see a motorboat and the park's rescue boats are, of course, motorboats. And we don't have any problems with corrosion or anything like that. But recreationists uh, with motorboats tend to stay away from it. The Great Salt Lake is certainly alive with human recreators, but does the salt content keep other life at bay? Trish assured me that it does not. Brine flies and brine shrimp, as well as an impressive assortment of birds, are among the life that thrives in and around the Great Salt Lake. Although it is often compared to the Dead Sea for its saltiness and judged to be a desolate desert, the Great Salt Lake is far from dead. Yeah, so it's not the Dead Sea, like we've kind of been nicknamed. Uh, there's a lot of life in, in the lake. In the water itself, we have brine shrimp and brine flies. Those are the largest creatures or critters that are in there. And that's a huge food source for our migratory birds, which, you know, billions and billions and over 200 different species of migratory birds that are coming in. So they're a really important creature to have in the lake. Outside of the water... Like I said, those birds coming into our wetlands and nesting around and in the islands of the lake are very important. It is a lot of desert. We, we do have a lot of uh, saline, sandy environments that support life. It's not dead. But a lot of really lush wetlands, too, surrounding the lake. That's, that's great habitat for some of those migrating birds. Year-round, even raptors, we have eagles, bald eagles, golden eagles, some really cute kestrels. That's my favorite little falcon that I see often along the causeway going into work. They're just tiny little killing machines. They're my favorite. So. <laughs> and of course, on Antelope Island, we have great habitat for a lot of larger mammals. The bison is kind of what we're known for, and they thrive out there. Plenty of water on the island for them. Uh, mule deer, bighorn sheep, pronghorn antelope, coyotes, a uh, lot of life out there. A unique atmospheric phenomenon known as lake effect is produced by the Great Salt Lake. As Trish explains, the water cycle at work on the lake creates rain or snow that is deposited in the mountains to the east and in Salt Lake City. Antelope Island, though, is mostly spared from the precipitation. So we have in kind of the Salt Lake Wasatch Front area, we have what we call lake effect. And folks that are living around Great Lakes kind of snicker at that because I'm sure it doesn't compare uh, to what those folks have to deal with. But we do see lake effect snow where the moisture is coming in off the lake and then precipitating down on the mountain range to the east. Uh, so we do see a lot of effect in this city 
from that moisture of the lake. Luckily for us parkies who work out there year-round, we don't see a lot of that precipitation on the island. It's still pretty dry out there because the moisture is coming from the lake and getting dumped in the city. Uh, so not a lot of climate effects from Great Salt Lake where we are. Beyond its historical and current importance to indigenous peoples, the Great Salt Lake is also a primary stopping point for many species of migratory birds. The lake and its shores have been designated as a Western Hemisphere Shorebird Reserve, given the sheer number of birds that feast and rest on and around the Great Salt Lake during migration. For example, over 50% of the global population of avocets were counted in one single day at the lake. The wetlands provide a rich habitat for birds to eat their fill of the lake's brine shrimp and to rest in the shelter of foliage along the lake's shores. Trish highlighted how organizations such as the Western Hemisphere Shorebird Reserve Network, support the mission of Utah State Parks. I think it's amazing that we're part of this network. It's a group of other um, areas and organizations who have a passion and understanding of how important the bird migration is and why we need to protect it. And their mission is almost verbatim of ours. We're here to protect the resource for this and future generations. So I think it's a great, great organization and a great just group of, of other partners to have and to be part of. In addition to area wetlands, islands on the lake serve as rookeries or nesting sites for some species. For example, pelican couples can be found building nests on Gunnison Island in the spring, and they stay through the summer, rearing their young. Islands are particularly well-suited rookeries given their natural isolation from mainland predators. Other islands on the lake include Gunnison, Hat, Stansbury, Carrington, and Fremont Islands. Carrington and Fremont are privately owned and only accessible by boat. The Gunnison and Hat Islands are also protected bird rookeries. It is a huge role. Uh, we're a stopping point for uh, those birds that are flying north to south in spring and fall. And they're stopping here and loading up on our resources, those brine shrimp and the brine flies that we talked about. They're just filling their bellies and fueling up for their next journey north or south, given the season. So without the lake, those bird species would really suffer. Insects play their own vital role in keeping the lake clean. And they are also a backbone to the food chain. I admit that I'm not too keen to visit the park when it's swarming with brine flies, but Trish insists that the experience can actually be pretty fun. As far as insects go on Antelope Island at Great Salt Lake, they really are some of my favorites. I just think they're cool. A couple other benefits. We talked about them being a huge food source for the birds, and they are. That's the reason we see 200 plus different species of birds flying through. But secondly, and, and maybe equally as important, is that they're cleaning the lake. When they're in their larval stage in the lake, they're actually in the water and they're gulping down algae. So they're really, really cleaning up our lake. We have algae blooms, which are a, a huge problem in our area with just warm water lakes. And we don't see that too much on Great Salt Lake because we have those amazing brine fly larvae that are just gulping that stuff down. So they're doing a great job filtering and keeping our lake clean too. If bugs aren't necessarily your favorite, August may not be the best time to visit Antelope Island, 
given the huge numbers of spiders during that month. To Trish, the absolute best time to visit the park is actually the dead of winter. She explained to me why that's the case and mentioned other great spots to check out in order to experience the Great Salt Lake. Some of those harsher times of year are some of my favorites. It just changes so much by the season. Uh, some really great areas to visit on the lake are, of course, our park, Antelope Island State Park. Uh, for wildlife, for scenery, for sunsets. They're amazing. Um, and lake recreation, because we were in the middle of it. So a great access point for the lake. Uh, north of us is one of my favorite spots, is the Bear River Migratory Bird Refuge. Uh, that's a really great spot uh, for birders. And then just west of us is the Farmington Bay Wildlife Management Area. Uh, also another a really great spot for uh, birders. If you're actually wanting to get out on the lake on a boat or a kayak, I would say head south of us to Great Salt Lake State Park. Uh, they have a great swim beach down there and really, really great access to the lake. They've got a really busy marina with loads of sailboats, and it's a lot easier to get on the water from down there. If you plan to come and see Antelope Island soon, it is important to cancel your visit to the park if you are feeling sick and to practice social distancing even when out hiking and enjoying nature. As always, keep your distance from wildlife, pack out whatever you pack in, and check weather conditions before venturing out. Be sure to check out our website for current conditions and information on upcoming events. Find us at antelopeisland.utah.gov, on Facebook at Antelope Island SP, on Instagram at Antelope Island State Park, on Twitter at Antelope SP, and on YouTube at Antelope Island State Park. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions for future shows, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to antelopeisland at utah.gov. This episode was created by me, Hannah Taub, under the direction of Trish Ackley at Antelope Island State Park. This episode was recorded by Mike Connaughton. Special thanks to Trish as well for the interview. Join us next time for another exciting topic related to Antelope Island.